Welcome to Still Growing in Grace, a weekly program dedicated to inspiring joy, giving hope, and delighting in grace. This program is brought to you by Hope Fellowship, your community church, and Growing in Grace Ministries Canada. I'm Pastor Michael Zenker, and for the next half hour, I'll be sharing with you a message of hope that will help expand your understanding of God's love and amazing grace. So many are tired of trying harder to live the Christian life. I've got great news for you. You can stop trying. God already deeply loves you, totally accepts you, and really, really likes you. Enjoy today's program as we dig deeper into what it means to still be growing in grace. Welcome to Still Growing in Grace. Again, I'm thrilled you tuned in to watch or listen to this weekly program. We have three really important announcements to share with you this week, as we did last week. First, Still Growing in Grace is moving from local Faith FM to only being online every single week. So we have links at growingingrace.ca for the podcast, YouTube, and Facebook links. Still Growing Grace will just continue on as we always have been, and we're very thankful for those who do tune in. Secondly, we have a major coming up this week on uh, January 18th. We'd like to invite you to either join us in person or watch on live stream for this conference called Grace and Grieving, Finding Hope in the Pain. Best-selling author of The Shack, William Paul Young, will be our guest for this evening. You won't want to miss this one. You must register for this event if you want to attend in person or watch live stream. So visit growingingrace.ca for those links. And thirdly, if you've enjoyed this program over the last year, uh, yes, it's been a whole year now, uh, would you consider making a donation to help us keep spreading this good news? We are only able to put this program together with the generosity of those who are encouraged by what they hear. Make your donation at growinggrace.ca. Just scroll down to the bottom, click the donate button. It's very easy to do. Uh, and today, please enjoy part two of a two-part interview with Paul Young as we discuss some of the things we're going to be dis- talking about during the conference. I think you're going to be greatly encouraged. All right, enjoy this interview. All right, welcome back to uh, a time with uh, William Paul Young, author of The Shack. He will be in Waterloo on January 18th at 6.30 p.m. at Hope Fellowship uh, in the St. Jacobs Outlet Mall. Uh, For more info, go to hopefellowshipycc.com to register. You must register uh, or you can't come because it's going to be too full. So, Paul, last time, uh, the last uh, episode, we we ended up talking about um, unforgiveness uh, being something. And then I talked to you about reconciliation being a myth, uh, that it is not the same thing as forgiveness. And Correct. I don't know if you remember your response of what you're going to respond to that, but I want to continue and, and follow this up and then we'll talk about the conference coming up. Yeah. So um, forgiveness is for the sake of the victim. Reconciliation is for the sake of the perpetrator. Mm. That's, a, that's, that's a big deal. And they're not the same thing. They are not the same thing. They're not even close to being the same thing. Um, forgiveness is letting go of something so that you can be free from it, right? This is why I say that unforgiveness is like wearing a corpse on your back, the corpse of the memory of what was done to you, the corpse of what that person did right and so but you, that talk, corpse, you, you also talked about the letting go of the other person's throat, throat or right. poisoning someone else so that and but or something like that there was a quote you gave me that was brilliant of what it yeah, is yeah 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 so in the book itself it talks about how forgiveness is letting someone letting go of someone's throat yeah and um but it's like we've got them clutched to us right and so the the corpse of that memory begins to putrefy all of our other relationships you cannot 
get away from the toxicity of unforgiveness. It just begins to then penetrate into our family relationships and to, you know, and, and, and we'll begin to build an identity based on the existence of that pain. So mm. a lot of people who are stuck in unforgiveness, um, when you first meet them, a lot of times will tell you their loss. That's the first thing that they'll tell you because that's now become part of their identity. And it doesn't mean that there isn't a time where you've gone through loss, where that becomes right front and center yep. about how you need to talk about it. But I'm There's talking a time about, and a place. Yeah, yeah. I'm talking about people who have held on to these kinds of losses for decades, you know. Yep. And the thing about forgiveness is that you don't actually need a face to do it, you know. And in the, in the movie, in the book, you never see the perpetrator's face. And people would say, why, why don't you? And I said, because you don't need a face for forgiveness. For reconciliation, you have to have a face. I, I am, reconciliation is the rebuilding of trust. That's a whole It's not automatic. Animal. Absolutely not. Yep. And it is for the sake of the perpetrator, but the perpetrator is completely... Um, uh, it is wrong for the perpetrator to demand or expect reconciliation. Yes, yeah. I agree. Yeah, and I, and and this it's wrong for the victim to place that demand on themselves. Mm. That is that that, and that's where the confusion between between forgiveness and reconciliation happens. And as a result, people don't have decent boundaries. They keep getting re-victimized because they think that by forgiving they need to trust. Yeah, and it's like no, you can you can forgive someone and never trust them again. And that's totally okay. Oh my goodness, here I love it. Yes, I uh, I'm in my world. Um, I'm, I'm a chaplain in multiple areas. I'm a nursing home chaplain. I'm a fire department chaplain, but I'm also a funeral home chaplain. And I do almost a hundred funerals a year. I love doing funerals. I love being there for people when they're having such a great difficulty time of time. But I also sit down with families and you'll get this right now based on what you just said. That's what triggered it. Um, if you sit down and a death has occurred in a family and stuff was not dealt with, as in mom or dad dies, suddenly the kids who've been fighting because of uh, something mom or dad separated them on, now they're stuck dealing with a conflict and a loss, they're not only losing and grieving uh, their loved one who died, but now nobody knows how to deal with anything else like relationships. And it's a mess if it's not dealt with. The fangs come out, jealousy comes out, greed comes out. Nobody wants to talk at a, at a, a necessary healthy level because they can't. They weren't right. prepped. Well, and this is not just prepped. We were just never taught. And no. You know, and this is, I think, truer for men, generally speaking, than for women, generally speaking. And that is that a lot of men have never been taught even the simple relational skills of conversation mm. about, about their own heart, about their own emotions. Um, they've just never been taught that. Um, and uh, Kim and I went last night and saw the, the, um, the movie about uh, Fred Rogers. Yeah. Oh, I want to see that. Yeah. And, um, it's, it was different than I had anticipated. You know, I don't know what I had anticipated, but, but there is a scene in there where the main character who's not Fred Rogers and, uh, but the main character is trying to take steps to open up, um, trying to find a way to say things about emotions that he has not been able to tap into. And it's his relationship with Fred Rogers on the outside of this that then moves him in the direction of his own relationship with his spouse. And um, 
And, uh, and it's a very powerful little piece there because you, you get to watch someone stepping into a world that they've never been in before hmm. you know, because they weren't taught. And, and, um, and I wasn't, you know, so a, a lot of my marriage, I just simply shut down because you either, you either come out as antagonism and violence of one sort or another, you know, uh, anger, or you just disappear. And I was a disappearer, you know, because my dad was an emotional verbal processor. The problem was I married an emotional verbal processor. And, um, and so my, and I, and again, largely unconscious at the time, I can look back and see it clear as a bell now, but my response was to just disappear because that's what I did when my dad came at me. Right. And, um, and, and it took me a long time. <laughs> Here's a survival skill. Kim would say to me, um, you know, when I'm, you know, I'm a, this is how I process. Right. And so when I'm processing like this, I'm not asking for help. Oh, right. I've never heard that before. <laughs> oh my goodness. This is hilarious. I'll be quiet. Keep going. She says, <laughs> if I actually want your help, I'll ask for it. Oh no! But on my side here, here's what I'm doing. <laughs> Where I went to hide was in my mind, in my intellect, right? Because that was part of the persona that I built up. I'm a smart guy, you know? And even though I thought that I just fooled people, at least my persona was smart. And um, so, so my way to deflect was to try to help. And so actually, I'm not actually trying to help Kim. I'm actually trying to stop her from emotionally processing so I don't feel like a piece of crap. Wow. That was what was going on inside of me, right? So, so I'd couch it in noble sounding language. It's the same kind of lies that men do where they say, you know, Oh, well, I didn't want her to be worried, so I didn't tell her about our financial situation or yeah. whatever, you know, those mm -hmm. kinds of lies that end up just, if we'd listened to our wives, we'd have been far wealthier <laughs> than we are. You know? Shh, yeah. They're all listening. Oh, I know, I know. <laughs> but again, again, there's a survival mechanism, right? Yeah. And so it's the same, same sort of skill where I could, I could take what somebody was accusing me of and I could make it their fault. Mm -hmm. I could spin it back on them really fast. And I didn't even know how, how I did it. It was just, it was a survival mechanism. And uh, so in, in my relationship with Kim, it took me a lot of time to learn how to do this. And I think men present a persona of having it together because that's a survival mechanism. And, 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 and women buy into it. And then they get, they marry the guy and find out that, you know, that persona is about a, an inch deep and a mile wide. Mm -hmm. and, and it's like, who are you actually? You know, because like you said, we presented something. And, we, and that presentation is not to win them over. Not, it was to stay safe way more than it was to ever win anybody. Over. I love that. That's, that sounds more authentic. I like that. Yeah, because uh, I would uh, typically me, I would run to a guilt trip, feeling oh, oh shoot, am I really being authentic here? You know, that, that's no, that's not a that's not a guilt trip. That's a shame trip. 
Okay, I'm ashamed. Yeah, shame is my has been my second language, and I've been unlearning the the message of shame in my life for many years. Yeah, I didn't know how consumed I was. It framed um, my language and my relationship with my wife because I would want to make sure she's feeling okay because I felt bad about myself. Oh, it's okay, dear. It's okay. And then when we started being honest, because five years ago I started doing some counseling, she yeah. was not happy. Not because I had personal counseling, but it. it I did a pendulum swing of being too honest, which wasn't great either for the relationship. And we worked through that. That was a hard, hard time as I'm working through my pain. Yeah. Um, by, and then, too, you know, by too honest, do you mean that you didn't know how to communicate the truth in such a way that it wasn't abusive? Because No, because it wasn't abusive. I, I think I... I was saying things for the sake of here. I got to say it. This is how I really feel. It may sound harsh, but I have to find out. I got to be honest and not say it's and say the opposite where I would, I would not say the truth. And then eventually um, in uh, through some counseling help, I, I was, I was encouraged to, you know what? Don't regress, be firm, say this. I, I've not talked about this. Here it is. And it, it, it really rocked the boat a little bit. For, sure. Well, for, of, of course it will. But I'm, I'm kind of going after the idea of being too honest, as if you were partly now going to go back to lying, you know. And mm. so I don't think your language is legit. I think you're, what you're doing is you're saying, I didn't, I was trying to learn how to communicate and didn't do it kindly. Mm. Right. Yeah, because she sometimes says I sound mean, but I'm, I don't feel I'm being mean. I'm trying to verbalize something. <laughs> right. right. Yeah. But but you've got a pattern of relationship in which, yeah, you know, the way that you come across is because I know this from personal experience. I did this to one of my girls not, not a month ago, where I'm trying to be objective and helpful, and I absolutely trash something that was precious to her. Ouch. Yeah. I've done that too. And I'm, yeah. I feel bad for that. I I'm trying to learn. Yeah. So yeah, I was, I was trying to be honest, but actually there was a whole lot of other crap going on underneath that mm. I didn't realize. It's almost like you need a guide to walk through that. You can't, as a couple, you need someone to sometimes coach you through to referee the conversation. Yeah. Sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes, yeah. you know, I think, I think you can, you can, it's better to, to be in the midst of that conflict than to just hide it completely. Yeah. You know? And then that's a hard thing for us, especially when conflict has been such a, a marker for the way we've grown up. Mm -hmm. and, then, and then our avoidance of it has been our survival skill, you know? Yeah. And so it's like, Oh my gosh. So it is learning a new way to communicate, learning a vocabulary that we didn't have before. Yeah. I had no idea your tone mattered. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, even interpreting scripture tone matters. Uh, I know. I know. So, okay. Yeah. We, we got, we got about uh, 10 minutes left. Okay. Uh, I'd like to dig into the conference coming up and okay. uh, I, my goal is to address some big questions people have. And I, I'm wondering if, if you have some pretty quick ones off the top of your head that typically come your way. People are asking you some of the jugular, go for the jugular uh, questions of where's God in this pain? If God is good, how could he let this happen? Like God is suffering. That's a huge one right there. Theodicy is what the technical theological term is. And it's will, like, will we have time to address that in the conference? Do you think is there, uh, there's no question. You can't avoid it. Okay. If, good. if you're going to deal with loss and grief and suffering, it's like, you know, it's like I have two cousins who both took their own lives because of Ouch. schizophrenia, you know, and it's like, so 
if there's a God who's good, how come? You know, or where was God in this? Or, you know, we love the why question as if that was going to solve something. But, uh, yeah. but, um, but yeah, you cannot avoid, you cannot avoid if there is any sense of a transcendent goodness, a transcendent divine nature of, of love, then it, it runs smack into loss. And it's like, what do you do? You know, we've had, we've had the losses. I told you some of my own personal losses, but you know, we had a six month period where Kim, we were just married and Kim's mom goes in for routine surgery, has a massive coronary at age 59 and passes away over three days. But three months before that, my 18 year old brother, Stephen was killed. And three months after Shirley died, my five-year-old niece, Jennifer was killed the day after her fifth birthday. Wow. That's a lot. Oh my gosh. By the time that Jennifer um, um, had had passed, Kim Kim didn't have the capacity to even go to the funeral because she's much more healthy than I am. Right? I could disassociate and compartmentalize and be the strong person and not feel it. You know, not completely, but at least I was much more self protective. I'd completely fall apart now, which is evidence of the health in my life, not not evident. Yeah. Yeah. And so, um, so, you know, I know we know loss, we live in a world of loss, but there's also this deep sense of longing for the good and for love and for kindness and for like, so in the conflict between love and loss, how do you, how do you work that out? How do you see that? What is going on? And, and, and so there are some elements of this that are absolutely crucial. Um, what is the character and nature of God? And what is the character and nature of being a human being? Mm. And we'll end up talking about that. Because okay. if, you, if you get those things wrong, you get everything wrong. I, I agree. Yeah. Because people are looking for hope. They're trying to find hope in their darkness, uh, hope in the pain. So they may not understand it. They think they do, but they know they don't. Please give us some direction. And so, and, and, and direction's not the. It's not going to be the solution. It's yeah. going to be the openness to presence. That's going mm-hmm. to be where we're going to find a solution. This is why you being a chaplain matters to those folks that you are with. That's why the healing, you know, the people who are doing the twelve step programs and the people who are who are in the midst of those losses in your first responders, how they relate to people changes things completely mm-hmm. by presence. You know, um, I was I was recently I was in a in Eastern Oregon, and during the question and response time, someone asked me. They said, "I'd like to get your comment on this Irish uh, quotation that when you when you die, the only question that will really matter is, did you have any impact? That that's the question. So, what do you think about that? And and one is that." they were talking about influence more than impact, right? But, yeah. but they're saying the only question that will really matter is whether you had an impact by your presence in the world. And, and I've never been asked that before. And it's one of those things that just was immediately there in my mouth before my mind could think about it enough. So it was actually came across as very brilliant. But, but it, was, it, just, it just was one of those things that made me look really good. And, um, but what I said was, you know, I've never heard a child ask that question. Wow. Because oh. chi- 
I said, you have to become an adult to ask that question because a child assumes presence is impact, right? It's yeah. I'm here. You know, I don't have to do anything. My it's question like, would be, who's asking that question in the first place when you cross over? Like, really? <laughs> well, well, you know, and like I said, you have to be an adult to ask that question. Yeah. Where suddenly performance has become that's, the basis. That's a brilliant response. Huh. I told you. And that, it, it happened so fast, it obviously didn't come from my mind. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so that's, that's where I trust well, the Holy, Holy Spirit. So Incredible. But it is. It's the right, it was the right answer. And it's like, no, we're designed to be children and our impact is by presence. So it's, it's a similar thing in terms of dealing in the midst of loss when you're around people. It's not even what you say, because a lot of us don't know what to say. So we say stupid things. You know? Yeah. And so, and, so what, uh, is it, what is it that shakes a person in it with a horrific loss? What does it do to them and what kind of questions hit their heads? What have you seen and experienced? If you can put those into words, because yeah. somebody listening might go, that's me. Like, what do you think? Yeah. You're going to, you know, everybody responds differently because of what they bring to the table. Yeah. And, you know, some people will lock up. Some people actually be emotional and lament well and grieve well. A lot of us, just we just are stuffers, you know. We'll just bury it inside and we don't feel anything. And then we feel guilty about not feeling anything. Yeah. You know, one, we don't know how to lament or grieve very well. Two is that we, um, we don't realize what a process grieving is. And so, you know, there are times when it comes through just like a wave. It just rolls over you. And, and that's normal. That's okay. And then sometimes the body cannot handle the emotional uh, intensity. And so it just backs off and you don't feel anything. Mm. that's normal too. Yeah. And, and what people in general, what they long for in the midst of loss is simply presence. Someone who is with them, who doesn't have to say anything. But you don't need a degree for that. No, <laughs> no, you absolutely. In fact, the degree can sometimes be an inhibitor, you know, and uh, because then you think you got to say something and solve something or fix something. And this is not something to be fixed. It's something to be to to live inside of and walk through inside one day's grace at a time. And yeah. that's it. You know, that's um, it, but it's very clarifying. This is why I think you like funerals is because, mm. you know, it suddenly, you know, real things come to the surface, you know, death is absolutely wrong and it's and part of what we need to learn how to do is be furious about things that are wrong and um but at the same time if there's any backhanded grace to death itself it's that it clarifies a lot of things it brings to the surface that which matters suddenly you know all the 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 80 hour work week doesn't matter if the person you love is no longer there yeah. you know i mean it's a clarifying it's a clarifying Fire. I had a, uh, a husband um, give his wife's eulogy the other day as she had uh, taken her life. And in the eulogy, he said, you know, I always said, I'm going to die first. Um, and then you said, no, I want to die before you. And then he, he pretty much yelled it out, but I didn't want it to be like this. And he was angry. And I thought, oh, brilliant. Yeah, it was like a, a moment him. of it was, it was really articulate. And I, I'd not heard that in a service in 20 years. 
just that millisecond of pure emotional truth that didn't need a, a definition. It was like, wow. And, and it gave permission. You know, in, in the Shaq movie, I don't know if you've seen it or not. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there's a, there's a scene where Mackenzie, who's uh, Sam Worthington's the actor, and he's bringing down the body of his daughter. And, and he, said, he said to uh, Gil Netter, the producer, he said, you know, by this time in the movie arc, in the storyline, Mackenzie has dealt with forgiveness. He's dealt with um, loss. He's dealt, he's, he's dealt with the issue of his dad. He's all this. He said, I think this should be a, just a scene of closure. I think I'll play it, play it very, you know, uh, uh, low-key. And Gil laughs. It goes like, you do that. Well, he tried it a dozen times. And every time when he, well, one is he had a, when he first came on set, he had a 10-week-old little baby boy, his first child. So now he's holding a, a child that's you know not much bigger and and every time he got into that scene he fell completely apart and one of the greatest gifts of the movie is that scene because it gave people permission to grieve the losses because they are losses mm-hmm. and we need to learn how to grieve well so but these are all things we'll talk about when we get together yeah. well that's kind of what i hope this event will be is another step in teaching us how to grieve well, find hope in the grief. That's not the end of the road. It's part of the road. And um, I'm really looking forward to you coming. Uh, folks, I'll um, uh, go to hopefellowshipycc.com, register. Uh, I hope to see as many of you there as possible. It will be live streamed. You can register for that as well. Paul, Sorry. thank you for taking the time. Mike, been an honor and always love it. <laughs> love it. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for taking time to watch or listen to Still Growing Grace. Uh, let me remind you of the three announcements that we shared at the beginning of today's program this is really important. First, Still Growing Grace will not be on Faith FM anymore after today. Uh, we will continue online as we have been all year on YouTube, Facebook, and on podcasts. Go to growingingrace.ca for the quick links. Uh, we're going to just keep going as we do every single week. Uh, it's been such an encouragement to hear from those who watch online or listen online. Secondly, we have a really important uh, conference coming up, and we'd like to invite you to join us in person if you're local or visit the live stream. You can watch live stream for an event on Saturday, January 18th, called Grace and Grieving, Finding Hope in the Pain. Best uh, selling author, uh, William Paul Young, author of The Shack, will be our special guest that evening. You won't want to miss this one. Please register. You must register for this event if you want to attend in person or live stream, and you have to do it in advance. Visit growinggrace.ca for that link. And thirdly, if you've enjoyed this program over the last year, would you consider making a donation? Those funds really do help us keep things going. We want to keep spreading good news. We're only able to do this because people like you do give. So consider it if you haven't yet. And thank you to those who do. This wraps up an amazing year on Faith FM, but join us each week online at growingingrace.ca. And again, don't forget to register uh, as seating for this conference is limited. Uh, We have a maximum number of people that can be in person, but many can watch online. It's been an awesome year. Thanks again for tuning in. You've been listening to Still Growing in Grace. I'm Pastor Mike Zenker. Join me next Tuesday at 11.30 a.m. You can also watch these messages on YouTube or download our podcast at growingingrace.ca. Do you live locally? Visit hopefellowshipycc.com to find our service times and location. 
If this show has been an encouragement to you, consider making a donation today at growingingrace.ca and help us keep spreading this good news. Thank you again for tuning into Still Growing in Grace.